You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 13. Well, hey there, welcome back to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and as always, I am honored and grateful that you are allowing me to spend a little bit of your day with you. This podcast episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, our free live virtual event that is specifically targeted to help PMO leaders around the world make a bigger impact with their PMO. Go check it out at PMOImpactSummit.com and get ready to learn a ton of ways you can make a big impact with your PMO. It's PMOImpactSummit.com and when the event is live, it is a free opportunity to get tons and tons of training to help you with your PMO. Today, we are talking with one of my dearest friends, Mike Hannon. Mike and I have known each other for a very, very long time. He truly was a friend first, and then we found out how much we had in common with respect to helping organizations make a huge impact with PMOs, project management, portfolio management, and both of us have a really strong passion in this space and have worked together on a lot of different projects, initiatives, workshops, and the Project Management Day of Service. Mike is one of the founding creators of Project Management for Change and the Project Management Day of Service. Before I give you your full intro, Mike, I just want to say welcome and thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Laura. All right, so here's a little bit about Mike. Again, dear friend first, we've known each other for years, and I'll tell you a little bit about the informal stuff first, just because this is the kind of things that I'm always thinking about and talking about when I talk about Mike. Mike is one of the advisors for my company, PMO Strategies. I've known him much longer than I've even had the company, so he's been an integral part in me shaping the direction of my company and what I'm all about and how I'm delivering an impact for my community of impact drivers. And also, I share a little bit of story about Mike and his role in helping me find myself on the stage. Mike, do you remember when you helped coach me for, I don't know, hours just to get up and do a panel because I was so terrified? Oh, you just got a little flushed is all. I was scared to death. Mike came and met me in my office at work where I was terrified and in another city. Yes. <laughs> and just to kind of help me get off of the edge of the total panic when and it was simply to speak on a panel. Um, and then I will never forget seeing him sit right in the front row and giving me a big thumbs up and a huge grin, supporting me as I was kind of getting into my flow and really helping to educate the project managers that were in the audience. And of course, there were hundreds of people there. And once I finally found my flow and found my confidence and realized, hey, I actually have value that I can bring to this community, everything changed. And if it wasn't for you, Mike, I never would have gotten on that first stage. But I talk about that story in some of the women in PMO and project management sessions as a part of the summit, because I talk a lot about confidence building and finding your inner strength. And another thing that I share with this community, as one of my advisors in my company, you and our pal Kendall Lott have really encouraged me to 
grow and challenged me to find new ways to deliver impact through the, the work that I'm doing, whether it's speaking or training or coaching or writing the book that I'm writing, and really encouraged me to embrace and support women in this field, you know, help them find their voice and their strength. So a lot of personal tooting of your horn, but I just want to say that these are the kinds of things I talk a lot about and share stories in the summit that if you are listening today and have not signed up for the summit, where have you been? It is free training. It's at pmoimpactsummit.com. And Mike is going to be sharing two sessions in there that I'll let him talk about in just a second after I finish tooting his horn. So Mike is a leading edge thinker and renegade, which I can totally vouch for, who believes that we all must do more to unleash our boundless potential and solve increasingly complex global issues. He envisions a community-centric, expert-guided, power-to-the-edge solution to most of these issues, which is super cool. For leaders and managers, this means open platform approaches to innovating and sharing the most effective management practices. For consultants and other experts, this means that we are too often part of the problem and need to be and do a much better job channeling our expertise in a way that delivers much greater impact. And you said my favorite word there, Mike, impact. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience about who you are and how you're making an impact? Hey, just real quick, there's actually a note of uh, humility, which is when I said that I think too often we consultants and coaches, and I'm one, are part of the problem. That was a real reckoning for me. That was pretty recent, actually, just in the past few months thinking I'm so attached to my solution and the ideas I put forward in my book, which are quite helpful and have done a lot of good and all that. But I think there's some hubris and some excessive ego that goes into that when we think we've cracked the code, Mm -hmm. that we just put blinders on and see everything as somehow not as good as what we've come up with, you know, not invented here kind of thing. And I realized, you know what, there's a lot of smart people out there that know how to solve their own problems. They could use a little expert guidance They don't want to be led around by experts. Kind of like when we all got used to navigation systems like Google Maps and then Waze came along and we actually saw that there's a lot of value that the community has in identifying, you know, where there was just some issue blocking traffic, right? And where there's a speed trap and where there's this and where there's that. And so there's knowledge, right? That power to the edge, right? Community driven stuff is real and delivers real value. And it's people helping each other, right? And not asking anything in return, actually. Yeah. Uh, but then we still sometimes want to be rerouted if we're in an unfamiliar area. We still want those algorithms behind the scenes that, that tell us what the shortest route is between where we are now and where we want to go. And so if we get lost or we're not sure where we are, we do want to complement what our community is telling us with what the experts have already come up with. I don't want to have to reinvent the algorithm for what's the shortest path, point A to point B, if you've already figured it out, Mr. Expert, right? right. So lend me some of that expertise if I want guidance. I can still drive my own car. I I still know a lot of the best ways to get where I want to go. I'm familiar with where I'm going. I'm still going to rely first on my community to help me through all that because they know more than the experts sometimes. And really, what guidance can you give me, Mr. Expert? Not what solution can you spoon feed me? Mm. Uh, And so that that leads directly to what my first presentation at the Impact Summit is going to be. It's called Finding the North Star, a Universal Approach to Resolving the Methodology Wars. And the idea here is the methodology, it's kind of like if you remember that old movie from the 80s, I'm, I'm dating myself now, <laughs> where uh, global thermonuclear war being launched by computers. Yeah. 
and I think it was Matthew Broderick playing the lead role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the end, the computer uh, played tic-tac-toe to a draw a million times in a row before learning that the only way to win is not to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so don't play the methodology wars. Uh, there's a better objective-driven approach that I'll be sharing at the Impact Summit, and I'll give everyone a little bit of a taste on this podcast, where if you agree with my objectives – that this is good guidance and that you can lead yourselves there. Maybe you can come up with your own methodology following that objective driven framework. Yes. Yes. That's great. Yes. And I definitely want to dig into that and talk a little bit about your sessions because you're doing two and Mike, you've been a big contributor to this space. And I would say true thought leader in helping people kind of move past their mindsets and move past their current way of thinking. In fact, you were one of the folks that Jesse Fuel and I sought guidance from when we were developing our keynote that we do about methodology wars and about this whole conversation and changing the game and changing the whole mindset and getting out of this us and them, no, regardless of whatever the methodology is, getting out of this us and them mindset and you're wrong because that's the only way I can be right kind of thinking and moving past that to the more important conversation that we should be having and what that conversation looks like. So can you talk a little bit about your perspective on what that conversation should look like and what we should be doing anyway? Yes, I think the best way to introduce it is if, if you're familiar at all with the me- one of the major methodology wars that's been fought over the last 10 or 15 years, and that's the whole uh, agile versus waterfall debate. Yeah, yeah. Right? And which you and Jesse expertly presented at the Project Con in Indianapolis, and that was so well done and hilarious. Thank um, you. If you think about that for a moment, it's all about, oh, my solution is better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, solution to what? And so I think too often we've, again, we've become so um, enamored of our own solutions. Yeah. We forget to really talk about the problem. And while the problem may well be manifest in a patterned way over and over in lots of different organizations, and I do see that as a consultant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the reality is every organization does have it a bit different. And there, if you just go forward with, hey, here's how it works, go take the training and apply it verbatim, you just ask those people to put on a straitjacket. Yeah, completely. And that's, I think that that's something that I've really pushed on with my audience and is threaded throughout, whether it's my Impact Engine PMO training program, the whole Impact Mindset Framework that I talk about in the first many episodes of the podcast here. So if you're listening now and you have not listened to the first, I'd say six or seven podcast episodes, definitely take some time to go back and do that because it really peels back all the layers of these mindset shifts that I think are so critical. And in my experience as well, there's been a lot of discussion around whose methodology is right. And while we're busy fighting over whether it's agile or waterfall or any of these other millions of ways of getting projects done, our leadership teams are looking at us and saying, why are they wasting our time? This isn't even the conversation we want to be having right now. And I talk about that with some of the executive sessions we have as a part of the summit. I figured it would be helpful for PMO leaders to hear directly from the C-suite, from some of these executives about what they're thinking about and what their pain points are. And none of them are saying you must do agile and that's the way to be successful or that you must do waterfall. That's not their point. They want good process discipline. They want good, they want transparency. They want the information they need to make educated, informed decisions. 
those are the things we should be solving for them. And instead, all we do is spend time fighting and pointing fingers and spinning a lot of cycles on the wrong conversation. Yeah, so if you think about how this methodology were, the specific one with Agile versus Waterfall has played out, it ended up with essentially a truce being called in the last PMBOK 6th edition, where it says, look, you know, we actually do have a way to understand both of these in context, and we have some advice on when to use which, right, that there's goodness in, in both. And I thought it was very well done, super well written. It's hard. I find very little uh, to argue with about any of it. But there's still something real big missing there, right, which is, hey, if you've got a sense about what we're here to do, right, mm -hmm. and you can call it being a, the purpose-driven PMO or business-driven PMO or um, having a value-driven mindset or um, any of those things, you know, scratch the itch for me. But if you start with that, then it all becomes much easier. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that have had success oh, I was the agile leader at my last uh, large you know, enterprise. I'm going to come in as the new CIO in this mm -hmm. large enterprise, and I'm just going to press re the repeat button. And I've already done it, which, you know, how many of you can say that, right? So I've already done it successfully, and so I'm just going to uh, do exactly what I did last time. And it never works. Right. Never. I've not ever seen it work a single time. Right. Because you haven't actually taken the time to understand your new problem space. It is a new context. You are a consultant like anyone, even if, even if your title is CIO. You're taking what you know from the past and you're trying your best to apply it to your current context. Mm -hmm. That can't just be done as a rinse and repeat. Right. And every time I've seen it tried, it failed. And then the, the person looks more bewildered than the poor person that tries it for the very first time and makes some mistakes, but maybe actually achieves something along right. the way too. Right. They're, they're bewildered too half the time. But then if it's like, wait, I've done this and it worked and now I just tried it again and it didn't work. So this whole notion that we don't know why things work when they work and why they don't when they don't is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because it's detached from some just very simple common sense objectives that any good methodology should help you achieve. And that, that's the real North Star that I'll be going into in the summit presentation. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. And I just want to touch on something there before we dig into a little bit more about this and your session and some of the conversation we need to have around methodologies. One of the things that I always tell my students in my Impact Engine PMO training program is that if they go into an organization and they come in with guns blazing, okay, I've done this before. I'm a successful PMO leader. I have implemented PMOs here and there or XYZ. I've done this. I know the medicine you need to take. I tell them, stop because you are 100% wrong. Whatever it is, no matter what that medicine is, no matter how many times you've done it, it's going to be different this time. And even if it's not different, if you go in with that attitude and you go in with the, I already know the medicine you need to take, I already know how to solve your problems, they're not going to listen to you anyway. So it should always, always, always start with shifting your mindset. That's why I spend so much time at the beginning of this podcast talking about the mindset series and talking about those mindset shifts you've got to make. Because once you do that, then you still don't start solving the problems for them. You start asking the questions. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have, and I'm glad you've had the same experience and uh, the colleagues that we've both know and have talked to 
all say the same thing. If you go in with this cookie cutter approach, then you're going to fail because no one's going to buy in. It's not their ideas. You haven't assessed the organization for the opportunities and the places to make the impact. You haven't brought them along with the change. It's not their experience. It's yours. And one awesome thing that Mark Price Perry says, and he said at the workshop we all did together, was it's not your PMO. And he was saying that to a room full of PMO leaders. The minute we go into the organization saying it's our PMO and we're going to do things a certain way and we know the medicine, forget it. You failed from step one. Instead, we've got to assess the organization and find the business problems, right? So whether you're doing it as a PMO or you're talking about one of these PMO services, which is determining the right methodology, or if it's methodology for projects, the first thing you do is figure out the business problem you're trying to solve. And then you know the solution you need. And then you can identify the medicine that they need to take. But the challenge we have is that a lot of PMO leaders and project managers and those that are responsible for project delivery go in with a solution. They go in with the means and treat it as if it's the end. Right on. And, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, to say we have to start over from scratch and come in with a, a, a blank sheet of paper and pretend that all of our experiences up to that point are useless, that's not true. Right. Right. So to say, well, you've got to keep an open mind and, and keep somewhat of a blank sheet of paper. But obviously, we were hired for our experience and our experience succeeding does matter. Right. right. That's maybe why they did hire us. Right. But the key there is asking the question. I like to call it the how might we. Yes. Culture. So any question that starts with how might we is, is going to be a good question. Right. Yeah. And so if it's it might be, hey, I'm not clear on the business problems you actually want me to solve. How might we gain clarity? Mm-hmm. Right. In that case, it might even be a how might I. Right. But. But hey, how might we formulate something very focused and priority-driven that aligns with the strategic goals of the business and, and delivers the most value possible? That's an invitation to a conversation. It's also an invitation to start maybe experimenting and learning through those experiments. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think this might work since it worked in my last organization. Maybe we should try an experiment. What do you guys think? Oh, no, I don't think that'll work here. Uh, in fact, it could blow up in our faces and be a massive disaster. Oh, really? how might we mitigate the, the, the risk that that might happen, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so right there, I know if an organization's on the right track, if you just wander the halls for five minutes and hear senior leaders, lower level, uh, you know, junior staff, middle management, asking themselves, hey, we really had a problem yesterday. How might we make sure that never happens again? Mm. Um, hey, I'm not sure if the new guy is really you know, up, up to the task we've, we've given him. How might we help him out? and make sure we can all succeed here, right? Rather than, you know, sort of the backbiting and all the other stuff that normally happens. I think you see that, and that's an organization that actually is trying to stay very objective-driven, business-driven, purpose-driven, value-driven, with some ideas on what's worked for them in the past, and a sense for why. And -hmm. then when you've got that, then you don't have a universe of possibilities that's just too complex to try and explore. You've got a very small subset. And again, I've narrowed it down to exactly seven <laughs> items that, nice. that will be the topic of my summit presentation. But maybe as a little teaser right now, I think this whole agile waterfall thing is all around where it really started was, hey, sometimes the waterfall approach requires us to start over too much. Right. And we go through months and months of work only to realize that uh, we were you know, walking down the, a blind alley 
and now we could go all the way back those months and start over. That was mm-hmm. way too much rework to stomach. Right. And especially if the scope was fuzzy or just a few aspects that weren't perfectly well nailed down, to say, well, if there's, if we know we're not sure, okay, that's fine. Let's put out something quick and see if we're on the right track. Yeah. Because even if we have to rework our way through some of those iterative cycles, that might be the least overall rework in the end. Right. Exactly. That makes perfect sense. And I think I had been sharing with you that I had a similar experience before I even knew about the methodology wars and which, you know, this us and them around methodology. And back in the day when I built my first PMO, I wasn't interested in having methodology wars, but I knew that the traditional waterfall of project approach wasn't really going to fly in an environment where we were in the midst of the dot-com boom and everyone's going crazy with trying to implement things so quickly. We had no choice but to iterate. It was iterate or die. So my first PMO experience back in 1999, I was implementing a combination of what is common sense, but at the time and maybe still today isn't common practice. And that's kind of the challenge is that if we get in the way of ourselves, if we are focused on which methodology we must follow so we're checking boxes and everything looks exactly the same, we're missing an opportunity to do a right fit and a right solution in the environment we're in. And that was my experience back when I built that first PMO. It was a combination of what makes sense in this environment to get these e-commerce projects done yesterday. And that meant a ton of iteration and a ton of let's just go forward with whatever we know and continue to progressively elaborate along the way. So we were throwing all kinds of different approaches at it until we found what stuck. And I think it's a little bit like what you've done with your, you have a special blend of methodology that you've used over the years. And I do want to just say, if you can tell people how to find your book online so they can dig into more of that methodology, I think that'd be great. Sure thing, Laura. So the title is the CIO's guide to breakthrough project portfolio performance. It's mm-hmm. available on Amazon and print and Kindle, and even in English and Portuguese now, hmm. if you happen to prefer Portuguese. <laughs> and basically what I decided to do when I wrote the book that I thought was, was needed at the time, and I think it's still unique in its place, is I had, had to read all these books to learn about Agile and practice, practice it in, um, in the real world, and lean approaches and critical chain, if folks are familiar with that. And it took me a long time to assimilate it onto something that seemed very straightforward and simple in the end, where I could just apply and get really great performance improvement. And I thought, well, if somebody had just written a book that was like 150 pages that had just given me the broad brush strokes, I could have been fine. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll write that book then. And so that's what I did. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) You found a need and addressed a pain point. I think that's great. So. So you and I have uh, taught together, we've been on stages together, and have a lot of work that we've done around the framework you have and how that combines really well with the PMO stuff that I'm doing. So I would love for you to share this framework uh, that you built as a part of this book and maybe how it's evolved over time. And what I think is so unique about it is that it takes kind of the best pieces of different methodologies and mindsets and ideas and puts them together in something that actually really works in organizations. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So the methodology that I've coined, we call acclaim. And that's just a a shorthand for advanced critical chain, lean, 
agile integration method. And the idea, as you said, is uh, why can't we take the best techniques from the different bodies of knowledge that have been proved out and have helped organizations and leaders deliver big, big jumps in, in performance and not just kind of throw them all into the, into the pot and stir and hope, it, hope it's coherent and cohesive, but actually pick and choose which things go best where and where, which things combine well in the most harmonious way to turn into like a one plus one equals three kind of dynamic. Right, right. That's really cool. So has, so I think that's great. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is that it's, and you're going to talk about this as a part of the PMO impact summit, this whole methodology war and us and them and my way of the highway. And I think what you've demonstrated is that it, you absolutely can pull the pieces and parts of a methodology that makes the most sense and put them together in a way that helps you drive higher impact and higher performance and, you know, get things done, get projects delivered. You know, I'll tell you a little story that kind of triggered all this for me a number of years ago. I was doing a lot of uh, Agile and Scrum uh, delivery uh, with, with the teams that I was helping lead and oversee. Mm -hmm. And I noticed uh, the very first times these teams tried it, they were significantly faster. Mm. I thought, wow, that's great. And then the very same teams sometimes would try the very same techniques, methods, ceremonies of Scrum and all that and get slower. Huh. And I just thought, you know what, I, I don't, everyone says I would do Agile because it's faster, and I did it, and it was. And so I thought, great, it works. End of story. But then I realized when it, you know, when I hit a circumstance where it didn't work, I didn't know why, which forced me to come, you know, confront the fact that I didn't know why it worked when it worked, uh. let alone why it didn't work when it didn't. And so I began a bit of a quest to say, well, what actually drives speed? Yeah. And what is it about this stuff that actually makes things faster when it's faster? Right. And I came to the conclusion, it took, took me a lot longer than it should have, but after a couple of years experimenting and reading and pondering and blending other methods, it, it, it was so simple. It was, it was focus, right? The more people are focused on one task at a time through to completion with minimal distractions and interruptions, the faster they'll be. And sometimes the, that, that time boxing in Agile and Scrum of, okay, I've got to finish this before the end of the sprint. So it becomes a little bit more near-term and urgent as opposed to, well, we've got four months until this phase is done. You know, I can kind of cruise for a little while because there's no due date for a while, right? And so when that's the, the psychology, it tends to promote speed and focus. When it's not, if you're still in the middle of an organization that's, got a million interruptions I and mean, they're pulling people off your team to go help on a proposal or something else, or you got a bunch of, you know, office parties, which is, you know, super fun, but definitely uh, can, can distract people. Right. You know, and it's, it's donut day. We got to all go eat, you know, to the kitchen and eat donuts. Right. <laughs> so it's just like when, when you realize like a lot of the reason it works when it works is because it helps cut through all that silliness. Yeah. You're like, well, yeah, I love donuts, but I got stuff to do today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy hat day sounds like a fun party to go join in uh, around Christmas time or whatever, but come on team. We all need each other to pull through here and finish this right. up. So it's not to say there's not uh, a good work-life balance to be had. Uh, of course there is. Um, but right. I say, let's forget the sprints or whatever else. Just say, how, how, how do we actually measure how close people are to true single task focus? And if we're getting farther away from it, we're going to be getting slower. You can, you can bank on it. And right. so how do we know when we're getting closer to our ideal focus state 
or farther away? And then how do we intervene quickly enough, you know, before it's too late um, if things aren't going the way we want? And so, so that's the kind of thing I wrote about in the book that, Hey, you know, don't just, don't just believe that whatever the last fad is, is necessarily going to be better, faster, cheaper, customer intimacy is stronger, et cetera, et cetera. Um, understand why that might be the case. And again, I like to say Agile reminded us of things we never should have forgotten, right? Yes. We, we shouldn't have needed a reminder to get closer to customers. We shouldn't have needed a reminder to get regular feedback when the scope isn't clear, right? We shouldn't mm-hmm. have needed a reminder about how to stay focused and minimize interruption and all that stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, whatever, we, we did need the reminder and we got it. And so now, now my whole thing is, well, why stop there? Right. right? This is, we're not, we're not done. We, we haven't magically found out the be all end all answer. If, if it's just agile, right. what we really need to get to is focus. And that's maybe sometimes a bit harder to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that for a second because it's interesting. I've had several speakers that are part of the PMO impact summit talking about things around uh, attention and focus and multitasking. In fact, I just did a session today with one of our fellow heroic public speaking superheroes, Sarah Robinson, and she was talking about multitasking and time management and how our desire to multitask, which of course, as you and I have talked about many times, really destroys focus and really destroys productivity. And we were talking about that impact on loyalty of your team when you're running around crazy all the time and don't, you know, aren't instilling focus yourself, right? So it's why the impact method that I talk a lot about and that you all that are listening and watching can see here in the, you know, if you're listening, watching to the summit, um, you can all hear about in the first podcast episodes I did. My very step and first step in my process is called instill focus because it is such a problem and it, it, it affects everything. It affects the loyalty of your team. It affects the ability to lead. It affects your ability to get results as you're talking about here. So what are some suggestions that you might have, Mike, for people that really need to create more focus in their team so that they can start executing at a higher level of, you know, creating impact? Yeah. So I always point to two answers there. One is, something every single one of us has total control over and you don't need to wait for the boss to take any action or initiative. Uh, If you are the boss, but you don't have the political capital to try one of these two that I'll talk about in a sec, you can still do the other one. And that basically is measure what your target is on how many tasks at a time you want to be working. And of course this is easy, right? It should just be one. Right. Right, one. And if I'm working in a team, let's say the five of us are always working every single task as a collaboration all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, then for that team of five, it's still just one. Right, one task for five people. Ah. So if you say, well, there's five tasks for five people, we're single task focused. Well, not if all of you are juggling five things at once all the time. Right. 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 And so that's something, if it's a team of one or a team of five or, or you know, your own, however big your team is, you can actually measure that and you can ask them. Uh, obviously you can't hover over everyone's desk and monitor exactly when they're being distracted. But if you tell people every time you're interrupted, cite the reason, right? In some kind of Kanban board tool or other task tracker tool, just mm. cite the reason. And then let's tally up. All right. What are the biggest reasons we as a team get interrupted? Yeah. Right. And then let's just see if we can remove the biggest one first. 
and then the next biggest one and so on. Right. So any, anyone can do that, right? And there's plenty of free tools out there now uh, where you can do you know, task boards or Kanban boards or task tracker lists or even the Microsoft Outlook task thingy, whatever. As long as you can say, hey, we've got these tasks and these priorities, we're working on them, we're getting them done, right. uh, but here's where we get paused. Right? In fact, I asked a task board vendor to relabel their blocking thing with like, it's like a stop sign or an X yeah. and instead put that little pause button that we have in our old tape players. You know, ah, yeah. Or CD players. Yeah. <laughs> pause button. I might not be blocked. I was just, I just got to, you know, it's just the boss did a drive by and, and, you know, distract me for five minutes. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I had an organization where the boss was doing that so often that they started to track it. And then they got to go back to the boss and say, you're the problem. Huh. And everyone was wondering what he was going to do, including me, right? Yeah. You know, they, they, they have data now showing the boss that it's the drive-bys that are killing everyone. And he said, okay, I'll fix it. And the very next, everyone said, yeah, we'll believe when we see it. And the very uh, next hour, he went out of his office to go bug someone, caught himself, turned around and went back. And everyone saw it and started applauding. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So that's when they knew that they had a chance. (laughs) Well, you know what's really funny about that is because I I hear the yeah, but monster going off uh, right now with the people that if they've been watching a lot of these summit sessions that we're doing in the PMO Impact Summit, in some of those sessions, we're talking about management by walking around or management by engaging with your teams or, you know, get off your phones, get off your email and go engage with people. But there's a way to do it where you're not being disruptive right? There's a way to do it where you're not constantly interrupting someone because you need something from them, you know? And so we really need to think about when and how we are engaging our team so that we're not disrupting their flow, disrupting their work with these little micro interruptions, but still engaging them and connecting with them. I think it, maybe there just needs to be a little bit more structure around it. What do you think? Yeah, I've seen teams come up with their own solutions for this. And this is where I finally had to realize you know what, sometimes we consultants get in the way. Like I thought yeah. I had all the best ideas and I realized yeah. they're going to come up with their own. So yeah. some examples. One, they said, you know what, we're just going to do it uh, at 8.30 every morning because we're always here by 8.30 and then we launch yes. into our own stand-ups and all that stuff. So right. if, the boss, if the boss wants to do a little bit of check-in, let's do it then. Yeah. Other teams say, you know what, we're gonna, we have a special uh, signal on our task board that, yeah. that we call Escalate. Yeah. And, as, and so we don't want the boss to actually bother us at all, ever, for any reason, unless they see the Escalate button. That means I need you, boss. Come. Wow. And the boss's job is to just basically sit there and monitor the Escalate request and prioritize them and respond right. to them. Right. And that's, that's it. Great. That's great. That's great. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. So I mentioned there were two uh, interventions, right? One yes. that anyone can do for any size team. Right. But there's a really persistent tough, tough nut to crack that only leaders typically, only the only top executives tend to have the power to change. And that is reducing the number of projects in progress. For whatever reason, we, we humans tend to want to shove more work into our pipelines than, than, our, than our pipelines can handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we lull ourselves into the false belief that by launching more initiatives, that shows initiative. Right. But, but we don't realize we actually just um, harmed the speed of all of them when we, right. when we added, you know, the 10th one or the 20th one. Exactly. And so this notion, this notion that we actually have to set 
a much better cadence on how many projects are allowed onto our congested highway mm-hmm. and to make sure that that highway is flowing at top speed mm-hmm. and that uh, we do have control over that system, right? We top executives. Right. And, and the team, our teams are counting on us. And if we allow too much on, if we allow too many projects in, you won't have any choice but to task switch. Right. You'll, you'll be on at least two projects at once. Right. If we've put too many on there. And, and many of us I know have had the experience that the more critical we are, it seems like the more projects we're on. Right. And right. so we find ourselves on five, six, eight, ten projects, and all of them, except one by definition, are waiting for us. Mm-hmm. So they're all just waiting. And so we can track with the little, the first idea I had of all the reasons why I'm, I'm being interrupted. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, if you don't make the, the harder choice as a top executive or get senior leaderships to thin out the number of projects in the, in the pipeline being executed, mm-hmm. the reason, the top reason will almost invariably be I had to switch to the other project. Yeah. Another emergency came up on the other thing. Right. And so let's, you know, run your own experiments if you don't believe me and see if it, see if that is your top, top reason. But I would say of the 30 project portfolios, the last 30 I've seen, say over the past five years or so, mm-hmm. that's been the case in all 30. That was the top reason. The top reason. Think about that. Think just, that's amazing to me. So, and that's why, and I know a ton about your framework and love all of these techniques. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, these are all common sense, but they're not common practice. And so we get so caught up kind of in the details and the inner workings of our projects and everyone's fighting for theirs to be number one and the number one priority. And as a result, you actually slow down the whole highway. Like you're saying, everything gets congested. And so I love this whole theme of you, if you, if you do less at once, you will accomplish more over, you know, any, you know, cycle duration year or, you know, however people are organizing their project work. So I think that is critically important. And quite frankly, that's one of my favorite, that focus, the single tasking, the taking those bottlenecks and figuring out a way to get them to be singularly focused. I think those are huge, huge things that people don't even consider. And so all of you listening, if you uh, are interested in learning more about this, I definitely think you should go check out Mike's book. Mike's got tons of content about this. Actually, Mike, we're getting ready to share your course that you created for our PMO Strategies community that'll be coming uh, later this year. And that will touch on some of these things, right? Hey, great. Yep. So with that, I want to talk a little bit more with this whole us and them thing with agile versus predictive, or as some people think of it, waterfall project management. I know from our long experience together that over time you've had a love-hate relationship with Agile. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why and where you are now in your thinking with respect to Agile and how it can or can't help organizations. Yeah, so I've mentioned before, one of the things I love the most about Agile and and um, since Scrum is the most typical Agile approach employed, certainly in the IT world. The thing I love about them the most is they, they reminded us of things we should have never forgotten. Yes. Right, so we've, we've covered already this, this emphasis on speed, yeah. right, this emphasis on uh, trust your team, mm-hmm. right, let, your, let your team lead and let, let your team manage itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, give the team the right priorities, the right guidance, the right direction, and then set them free. 
Right. right. All, all this, this kind of uh, philosophy is borne out, again, for, for decades, that these, this is, these are all best practices, right? So we shouldn't have needed the reminder, but, but, but you know, I guess we did. <laughs> but then somewhere along the way, the original notion that Agile is a, as a, uh, it's, a, it's just a framework, right. right? It's not actually a method or a methodology. It's not saying do X, Y, Z, and then Q. That's what Scrum, that's what Scrum does. Mm-hmm. Right? Here's all the ceremonies you should do, and you should always organize everything to sprints, and you should always do this and always do that. The original Agile framework just said, no, we just have some core values here. Right. 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 Things like, things like collaboration over contract negotiation and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those, that, that leaves a whole lot of room and flexibility for people to figure out their own path forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I love that aspect of, Hey, we can run experiments and learn and apply, and we can do all this with the team uh, dynamic really high and setting our teams up for success and iterating as much as we feel we need to, if that's, if that's going to be valuable for us. All, that's, all that goodness is there. I think in practice, though, I rarely, if ever, well, I shouldn't say if ever, uh, I came across one guy this month, and it was the first guy I've run across in probably this whole year from the Agile community who actually seemed to understand what the Agile mindset's all about, which is not locking ourselves into a straitjacket, one-size-fits-all approach. Right. right, but truly owning this problem, exploring it, knowing what we don't know, um, expo- you know, running experiments to learn uh, what works here in our organization, then keep you know pursuing higher higher thresholds of performance improvement. Right. That kind of mindset, which is I just I just call it the how might we? Yes. Right? Cultures that are constantly asking themselves, how might we get faster? How might we deliver more quality? How might we make sure we make that due date because it's really valuable to the business this time. Mm-hmm. When you open your mind that way and enable and invite conversations that are by design collaborative, right? How might we? Right. That's very different than this whole, what I call the culture of accountability, mm-hmm. which I think we've gone, we've gone way too far on, right? Like you and I, Laura, hold each other accountable all day long. Right. right. <laughs> and we have very little tolerance for people that don't deliver on their commitments and all that right. good stuff. Right. <laughs> um, but this notion that we're all just islands unto ourselves when we're actually really a team. Right. Right. And sometimes very good people get stuck in bad situations. Yeah. Right? And sometimes if the team is attuned to it, the team can help. So all that right. stuff I think is, is fantastic, but the broader agile community seems to have lost it. Yeah. They're so hell-bent on, well, we've got to structure everything to sprints. Why? Right. Well, I don't right. know, because it says so. Well, we, but it's faster. Really? How? Uh, I don't know. It's just what everyone says. So we kind of turn our critical thinking brains off and just kind of do this rote, you know, just follow the recipe thing. When, you know, that's not the way to be the best cook in the kitchen is to just follow recipes verbatim. You actually have to have a feel for it. Right. And, and that's part of the joy, right? Yes. So in the end, I've taken a, a teaspoon of my own medicine on that and thought, you know what, maybe I've been overly prescriptive too. Mm. Maybe uh, even with my claim framework, which, again, if you want an executive succinct read and a 150-page book and some ideas on how to, how to really boost performance, hopefully that'll open your mind to some possibilities. But, what, but I think the book that I'd like to write next is what are all the objectives that those techniques actually help you achieve? And are yeah. there other ways or other techniques that can help you achieve those same objectives? 
that you might have experience with and you think might work better in your in whatever context you're in right now. I think that's where we all need to be headed. Uh, I think when we talk about power to the edge solutions, the edge is where people are doing the real work. Yeah. Right. They're the ones that have to be able to navigate their way through. And I think if we can help lend a bit more clarity and hey, look, do we all agree that these seven objectives are the right ones in any kind of project or product management context? Do we all agree that if the if they are important objectives to achieve, we should have a methodology that helps us achieve them? Right. Right. And can we now look at our methodology and say, well, it helps us achieve these three, but I don't know about those other four. Right. Maybe, you know, how might we as a team come up with some solution to these other four? And great if this, you know, Mike Hannon guy's got a book and some answers and we can check on that too, you know, if we feel like it. But you know what? Maybe we've got some better answers ourselves. Right. And, and you're only going to find those answers if you're asking that question, how might we? And I think that's a really important first step. Would you agree that for the folks listening today, that that might be a good place for them to get started is by asking that question? Yeah, and I'd go even further and say, until you have at least a few folks asking that question of each other, any attempt to improve performance anywhere is probably just going to be a follow the recipe sort of thing. Go through the motions, call everything a sprint or whatever, go to the scrum, scrum class, you know, but if you want a, a more genuine pursuit of really reaching for higher levels, Make sure that culture is taking root first, that how might we culture. That's great. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. And I know for a fact that I will have you on again many more times because there's so much brilliance you have to share with this PMO community. And I just can't wait to dig into other concepts and that kind of thing. But for now, I want to leave everyone with that question in their mind how might we, and thinking about how they can apply that and build that how might we culture in their organizations. And make sure you go register for the PMO Impact Summit. If you have not done so, what are you waiting for? It is a free event that helps give PMO leaders all the resources they need. And Mike is doing two sessions in this year's summit. So Mike, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being my dear friend. Thank you for being a part of this community and helping PMO leaders figure out how they can make a bigger impact. And thank you, Laura, for all your leadership and initiative. This is great. All right, that's it for now, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today on this podcast. And until next time, I hope you have a high impact rest of your week. Bye-bye for now. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, your free live virtual event covering all things PMO. There is no other event quite like this so focused on helping you make a big impact with your PMO. Make sure to go to PMOImpactSummit.com and register today. I can't wait to see you there.